Yeah. All right. Thanks, team. G'day, team. Mark Connolly. Churchy. Welcome to the Church Pod. Thanks, mate. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. It's, uh, well, it's episode two of our Church Pod, but it's actually really <laughs> episode one with a guest because the first one was uh, JB and I were just, I don't know, setting the scene, I guess, which was why we're here. I think that's what we called it, actually, too, why we're here. And uh, we were just talking off air about, um, you know, what, what it's all about and... and uh, what a pleasure to have you on as well. You're ticking a few of the boxes. Uh, you're an illustrious, uh, well-accomplished pilot. Uh, served in the military for 16 years. Yes. And uh, all sorts of other stuff probably, which uh, we want to talk about. Okay, so, yep. But the logical place to start is probably at the start. Start, know? yep. Where is Mark Connolly? Who is he? Where is he from? Rightio. Uh, well, I uh, born in Australia. My father was in the army. Okay. Uh, spent his whole working life there. Uh, one older brother yeah. who also joined the army. Yeah. Uh, moved around every two years, as you do. Okay. Yeah. So you're um, an army brat. Yep. Yeah. Uh, had some great experiences. Lived in the UK for a couple of years. Oh wow. Started school. What corps was your old yeah. man in? He was infantry. Okay. Yeah. Um, Did that take him post? Was he? Uh, uh, OR or officer? Uh, he was an officer, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. all right. He so went and that, through Dunfern that got him overseas. Postings? Yeah, it was yeah. an exchange staff college. Okay. Uh, for yeah, a couple right. of years in England, so that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I got to sort of travel around a lot as a kid and see all sorts of different places. Lived in just about every state and territory wow. in Australia at one time or another. Yeah. Yeah. How did that play with. Like, growing up as a kid, that can be pretty traumatic for some kids because they, they don't settle into schools and when they do, they make their friends and then... D- did you did you have any trouble with that? Oh, yeah, it's always a little bit of a wrench to have him, mm. having to pick up and move, but... Uh, no, you manage and you become very adaptable and you get good at uh, fitting in and, mm. and getting to know people. And was the, the family unit was pretty tight? Yeah, yeah, mum and dad and the two boys. Yep. We're only a year and a half apart, so... Okay. Um, yeah, we just travelled around the place together. Yep. Packed up our bongos and moved on. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we were very fortunate that also then when my brother and I got to sort of mid-high school, dad had a couple of jobs in a row uh, in within Cooey, Brisbane. Oh, so okay. we, we managed to stay still then. You managed yeah. to stay for the majority of your secondary schooling? Yep. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, right, and did you... Like, did you so your brother joined the army? Yes. Is he older than you? Yes. All right, and because he wanted to follow in his dad's footsteps. Yeah, well, I, I think it was just what he truly had a passion for. Mm. He, he's loved being in the army. He has just um, finished with the army about a month ago. Okay, um, really? After Thirty-three years. Thirty-three yeah. years. Wow. Yeah. Um, and uh, but yeah, that that's what he was all about. And yeah. Was he infantry as well? He was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A- an officer as well. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, 33 years infantry officer. Yeah. Wow. Did he deploy? Yes. Yes, he uh, commanded a battalion uh, in Afghanistan and wow. got to do some great stuff and, yeah, he's uh, he's an amazing person. We'll have to book him. JB, <laughs> <laughs> put Mark's uh, brother on the list. Yep, do that. <laughs> no, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. So he joined the Army. You're a year and a half younger than him? Yeah, All so right. one year behind him at school. Yep. Yeah, and I don't know, I just I wanted to fly planes. Funnily enough, my father's younger brother was a, a pilot in the Air Force 
Okay. Well. So the same thing happened two generations in a row. Yeah, right. Army Air Force, Army Air Force. But I, there was never any sense of uh, that, that this was the expectation or that it was predestined. I just uh, got bitten by the bug. Yeah. Went to some air shows at uh, Richmond Air Force Base when I was a little <sighs> kid. Uh, I went to those. Yeah. I wanted to be a pilot too, but I was a bit <laughs> too stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, I don't know what happened to me, but, yeah, yeah. Um, my uncle flew caribous and uh, I loved the caribou. Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, ended up flying them. So, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Okay. Yeah. We don't have them in service anymore, do we? No, they were retired in 2007 after 40-plus years of service. Are they like a little baby Her- Hercules? Yeah, sort yeah. Of short takeoff, short landing type airframe? Yeah. Sort of thing? Yeah, similar sort of um, capacity of a Chinook. Okay, um, all right. But they use a slightly larger space to take off and land. Yeah. Um, but they On account of being <laughs> fixed wing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but not much. Yeah. Um, but sort of petrol-driven piston uh, engines. Two or four? Uh, two. Okay. 14 cylinders a side, 2,000 cubic inch. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're an amazing aeroplane, but they were very labour-intensive to keep operating. And okay. uh, in the end, they just couldn't be kept going any longer, so they were... What, uh, what's a typical crew to keep one of those in the air? Uh, it was three. There were two parts of the front and then a, a dual-trained flight engineer and okay. loadmaster. Okay. Um, those guys were awesome. Yeah. And um, if you were doing airdrop, then we'd take two flight okay. engines and one of them looked after the stuff in the back. Yep. Um, yeah. That was that was great. Yeah, right. Yep. So your your uncle flew them. Yeah. And you, did you do uh, air cadets or any no, sort of cadet stuff? No, I didn't do any of that. No. No, just loved planes. Yep. Knew I wanted to fly from, I don't know, about the age of 12 or something. Um, worked pretty hard through high school because I was pretty yeah, focused on that goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and particularly military as well, you'd have to, you'd want to, be at a better standard, I suppose, than oh, if you were yeah. going to fly Bug Smasher around. Oh, the standards are, are, are really the same, but it, you're trying to get into a system that is going to statistically repel 99% of applicants, mm-hmm. so you want <laughs> you want to put on a good show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. And, and I, did, I got knocked back when I first applied. I was in year 12. Uh, I was getting straight A's at school. I was a prefect. I thought I was pretty clever. Okay. And I went for my selection board and got solidly sat on my butt. <laughs> told, go away. There's no place for you. Either as an officer or as an OR in, really? any, in any service branch. That's in brutal. Yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. Um, but I, it really just put a fire under me. I just okay. went and got a job, um, finished school, um, mm. worked in coals uh, on cash registers and pushing trolleys. For Do a you few think days. after being a prefect in the in the school environment that maybe going to work at coals and oh, getting back to best thing that basics, happened to me. Yeah, yeah okay. it was a real come down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I learned a lot of uh, sort of humility. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't I learn it till much later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't learn enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I got a taste of it at least. Yeah. Um, maybe it was like a, a, a preparation of vaccination so that when the real hard stuff happened later in life, my yeah. brain went, oh yeah, I've been here before. I think hopefully for most of us, it, it happens at some point. Hopefully, and and you you brought back to grassroots and back yeah. to ground level, and you learn a bit of humility and yeah, definitely yeah yeah. yeah. Well, do you think looking back that it was better that it happened earlier rather than later? Yeah, so yeah. I'm, oh, look, I'm sure it was a great experience for 
uh, developing resilience and mm. um, yeah, but it sharpened my focus on what I wanted to do. So I spent every cent on flying lessons yeah. and went back 12 months later and got in. Mm. Yeah. You know, a, a bit about weeding it out, like weeding out people. That's, yeah. that's, it, and what you said about lighting fire under you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the people that you want. Yeah. They get knocked back and get demoralised and like, uh, and then don't just crawl away with the tail between their legs. They go, yeah. all right, no worries, I've got to work harder. Yeah, and it was probably also harder. the best thing that ever happened to me because if I'd have gone into the Air Force straight out of high school, having been, you know, reasonably successful there, yeah. I'd, you wouldn't be able to sit in the same room as me. You'd hate me. So I think it was really good <laughs> yeah. to just go away. I've said so, Morons, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know, but none, none uh, still quite approach my way. Yeah, no, um, yeah, it's it's good. I think it is a good thing for young people to go away and have a gap year, and um, yeah, you know, um, push trolleys. I could tell you some stories stuff. about that because yeah, I joined the army. I applied for the army when I was sixteen and nine months, and I had to ring somebody because there was no internet really back then. And I had yeah, to yeah. ring somebody and find out, you know, or get some pamphlet or whatever. Like, when can I like sign up? Yeah, no, you got to be sixteen and nine months, right? So on the day, yes, you know, I'm Hello, hello, <laughs> hello, it's Chatty. Want to join the army? How old are you? Sixteen, nine months. All right, get on a train to Melbourne. Yeah, right. You know, and I went to Melbourne, and then my, f- uh, you know, and I did all the stuff, and I, I, I somehow got in, and they they rang me up and they said, all right, and I always wanted to be a tanky. Yeah, and I wanted, I love tanks, loved them. Yeah. I was like, Army Corps, that's where I'm going, right? Yeah. And I couldn't believe that I got in because I was short-sighted, so I wore glasses, right? Not yeah. the end of the world. I just thought that that was going to, you know. So I I, uh, I thought, oh, okay, no worries. And I was so excited when they marched me in and I'm sitting in front of some LT and he's like, oh, Mr. Allchurch or whatever, you're, uh, looks like you got through, you got in, what corps do you want? And I was so excited, I went, Infantry? <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> Forgot all about armor. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, you know, and I, I think he was a, he was an infantry officer as well, actually. So I think he was right. steering me that in that direction. Armor? What do you want to go to armor for? But yeah. um, but in the end, yeah. And then uh, my first enlistment date, they they rang me or sent me a letter or whatever it was, and and they said, uh, you know, your enlistment date's the twentieth of February, yeah. and I was like, you beauty, right? I'm going. And then I thought, oh, well, I'm actually still going to be 16. So I had to ring him up and say, um, just so you know, like, I don't care. I'll still go, but I'm not actually turning 17 until the 9th of March, right? It's a couple of weeks. And the lady on the end of the phone just goes, oh, uh, okay, hang on. <laughs> and then the next day I got an updated letter that said, you're starting on the 14th, right? Yeah. So I turned 17, 17 on the 9th and on the 14th I was on the bus to Capuga. And when I got there that afternoon, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, looking back and uh, and how it all how it all went, um, I learned a lot of lessons, you know, very quickly and th- the hard way. Yes. Make a bit of contact counselling and a bit of this and that, and yeah. you know, it's shaped me for now. But looking back, just a bit more maturity. I was just so young. Yeah. Just so young. Yeah, and I just so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have survived if yeah. I'd have gone straight from school to the defence force. I wouldn't have got through parts course. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Certain level of maturity that that needs. Bit of something. Yeah. Okay. So, so you worked hard for about a year, was it? Yeah. Working yeah. yeah. And, and Twelve months. But you were flying. You were flying. Um, when did you actually start flying? Because you, you 
went did some lessons while you were yeah yeah a teenager. I went and did my private pilot class. Okay, so you already had a private in that year. I had off. Yep. Um, yeah, I just put everything. I went to night school a couple of nights a week to do all the theory subjects and okay. um, spent all my money on flying lessons. Yep. And, um, was that, yeah. Um, is that a prerequisite, pardon my ignorance, for, for joining the rugby? No, no. Not or wanting all. to be a pilot, not necessarily? No, I'd okay. prefer to teach you their own way, but um, mm. I had to do something to demonstrate uh, motivation. Sure, yeah. So, yeah. D- d- well, f- why not? Yeah. And you might as well do something you love. Yeah, yeah, you that's know? it. Yeah. Mm. So it was good. I had a great year. Okay. Yeah. All right. And... You know, so all right. So then you uh, you get accepted the second time around. Yes. Yep. And where does that take you? Where Where's the school? Uh, I went to um, the Defence Academy in Canberra. Okay. Spent three years there. Yep. Um, which so you got to become an officer first. Well, you, it's sort of you do a university degree and you do officer training along the way. Okay. Yep. And then you graduate and yeah, you've got to do some extra stuff. So for the army guys, they then go and do a year at Duntroon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they get their rank. Um, yeah, right. Air Force, it's a, it's a little bit more casual. I think we got it straight out of the Defence Academy. Anyway, we went to pilots course. That was our, <laughs> that was our regimental officer, basic. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was pilots course. Um, that's that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. And w- what was that experience like? Did you, did you just you know you were training with some really good people you, yeah you know. yeah made friends that i'm still friends with now in fact yeah. uh, the guys had a virtual pub uh, the other day but i missed it because i was flying but um yeah, yeah yeah great bunch of people and we had four years together by the time we got through defense academy and then parts course and we started with 51 at defense academy we graduated 30 went to parts course graduated 18 from there so we lost a lot of mates along the way. Yeah. Uh, it was a pretty tough yeah. um, journey. But stayed close to a lot of those guys, including ones that didn't get through pilot's course or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, Did cool. you go on to serve and, and fly with any of those people that you went through with? Yeah, at, at that yeah time one, one time or another I worked with yep. with quite a few of them. So that was yeah. good. And, and the great thing about the Defence Force Academy, which is only very new back then and only been going for a few years, was that some of the best friends I made were in the other services as well. Okay. So wherever I went, particularly as a caribou pilot, mm-hmm. worked with the army all the time. Yeah, for and sure. And a lot of the guys running the units I was working with at that level were blokes I knew. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's great. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, where was your first posting? So you, you do that and then you, you yeah, obviously got posted pilot, somewhere? Pilot's course and I was posted to Fast Jets. So went and... Okay. Learned how to fly the Mackie, did an intro fighter course, had the mid-air, um, had a few months on the ground as a I've result I've been really of that. looking forward to that story. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we'll get there, we'll get there. Yeah. So, so hang on, so you go, you go, you want to be a pilot, right? Yeah. So you rock up and you go, oh, I want to be a pilot. Do they ask you what you want to fly? Does everybody just say jets and, and then if you don't get into jets, you go to something else? Or, it it or? tends to be that way. So okay. at the end of pilot's course, you put in your preference. Yep. And then they sit there and they look at the results that you're graduating with after your year and a quarter of training. And pretty much the guy that's number one performance-wise mm-hmm. will get whatever he will be allocated to his first preference of the available postings and then that one's off the list and yep. then the next guy down. So it tends to be that Merit the guys based. that uh, perform the best end up at fast jets. Okay. Um, and you would uh, like it to be that way, presumably. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, the course, the RAFS pilot training is of an exceptional standard. Mm. It is really good. Yeah. Um, but it's, it teaches you to be a fighter pilot. It teaches you to be okay. a single pilot, you know, mm-hmm. one of all 
all um, self-sufficient kind of a yep. operator. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and then people actually have quite a bit of difficulty, I did, uh, adapting to a multi-career environment because it's uh, just not what you were taught. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's not schools. Yeah. Interesting, okay. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, so you got you got a, you got a spot you got selected. I, I got against the, the in fact of the eighteen that graduated, seven of us got the fast jets, which is pretty unheard of. Normally, it'd be only the top two or three. What year was this? Nineteen ninety three. That's early. So what? We had we had an F eighteen, right? Yeah, yeah. And we had the F one eleven. Yeah. What else did we have? Um, we, had, we would have had Mackie, you say, which is the, tra- the two seat trainer, fighter, yep. the leading fighter. It, was yep. that actually a fighter? Like it could actually do uh, carry some missiles. Some countries and do stuff? use it, like um, South Africa used a yeah, variant so of it. Broke countries, rockets, and <laughs> oh, you, we had a couple of um, uh, 7.62 millimeter six barrel miniguns. You could strap one under each wing. We're just going to do strafing with it. Uh, and Any second hand ones? I don't what they did with them. Take that um, out, Hunt and JB. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty capable. <laughs> you know, for what it was. Oh, it was a trainer, but yeah. yeah, anyway. Yeah, still good fun to fly and, it a, and a jet. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was cool. Um, yeah. So you, you, you train in those fairly hectic. There's a two-seater. Do they have single-seaters as well? No, just a two-seater. Okay. Sometimes you fly a solo instructor in the back most of the time and you yeah. do a – you learn how to fly the aeroplane and then you do a three-month lead-in fighter course where you learn air-to-air combat and air-to-surface stuff, so bombing and strafing yep. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then you just flop around in uh, what they call ops flight, yep. um, just consolidating until there's a spot for you on a Hornet course or, okay. or an F-111 course in that day. Yep. Um, and during that time you do a lot of... Um, fleet support work where you go and attack the Navy's ships. Okay, so um, they can work out their defensive yeah, systems. Yeah, you simulate the uh, uh, anti-shipping missile okay. as you scorch on in at sort of 300 knots at mm. high level and all that sort of stuff. So it was great fun. Did some <sighs> awesome stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and now that Mackie has been replaced by the Hawk. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Same same deal though, like a sort of a twin seater thing and then fly around with same thing just a newer aircraft basically yeah oh, much more capable one okay it's supersonic and, right. yeah. and they can still load these up with you know a, a lot i mean presumably wouldn't have anywhere near the tech that a, an f-18's got in it oh no, no. It's certainly it's the hawk is actually a pretty capable um platform mm. yeah, at a surface and stuff it's yeah right good. Yeah. if we really got in the shit could we use them as fighters yeah, yeah we could yeah uh, but not probably not in an air-to-air role uh, but at a surface what if we're uh, up against um I don't know, the West Indies or something. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you do anything you've had to. <laughs> Strap a gun to a dash, eight. <laughs> we know. should put that to the boss. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. Probably the wrong message. No. Yeah. yeah, right. So, yeah. and, um, all right, so you did all of that and then you're, you're leading. Well, actually, well, this brings us to, so you, you're, you're in training. Yeah. And it, you come to, now, this is one I wanted to ask you. So you're flying around and you do a lot of single pilot stuff, obviously, but uh, do you always fly with a wingman? Is that like a, a you know, a, a pretty much a given that it, anywhere yeah. you go, you, you have a wingman with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the basic unit okay. as a pair. That would make sense. One's always covering the other one's ass. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, do you have different wingmen all the time or they give you somebody and you... Oh, you chop and change. Chop and change. It's a flying right. program. You're up with who you're with on the given day. Yep. Do what you do. Yep. Yeah. So when you get, you know, Brucey comes along, oh, damn it, I've got Brucey today. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know. Everyone, everyone were mates, really. It's yeah. just... No, that's right. That's good. Yeah. 
All right, so um, where were you posted to by this stage? That was Williamtown, so okay. Newcastle. You're just out of Newcastle. I've been there. I've been yep. there when I was when I was in the army. Um, it's a loud joint. Yeah. <laughs> when I was, there, I think it must have been an exercise going on when I was there. Yeah. Couldn't get any sleep. The bloody F18s taking off all night. Yeah. Choppers and crap everywhere. It's a bit that way. Yeah, it was a hard yakka while I was in my little <laughs> bivy bag. <laughs> Yeah, oh dear, I was just a medic, so I was just kicking around doing nothing most of the time. Um, all right, so you're doing your training there, and uh, where, where's the training area? Like, so, so it can, can't be far from, there must be an area somewhere where you can go. Oh, and yeah, do, there's do a huge restricted area just off the coast. Okay. Um, well, it goes a long yeah. way out to sea. Out over water. Most of the training's done out there. There's also yep. an overland segment that goes up to Taree. Okay. Sort of thing. Yeah, that must have been. Where we were, because I reckon I was there with 16 Air Defence oh Regiment, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that would make sense, right? We're out there with the RBS 70, yeah, and yeah. I think we still had the rapier at that stage, okay, yeah. which they retired not long while I was there, I think, or not long after I left. Um, went to a full RBS 70, which is like a man-portable type yeah, yeah. situation. No, I remember we used to play with those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, one day I was out doing my medic run, just running around to see all the, all the boys wherever they were, and... Pulled up onto this hill and, you know, there's a tree line and then a rolling hill and whatever else. And, and uh, we were just chewing the fat and then they ran away. The radio squawked and they ran away and then they're doing their thing. And I, I didn't even see the jet. I don't know where it was. I, I heard something. Yeah. I don't know. And it was like, ah, there it is. And he's winging around. I'm going, oh, where is it? Well, <laughs> yeah. just get back in your medic car, mate. You'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be no good shooting a bloody jet out of the sky, that's for sure. Oh, I'm sure if you were trained. Yeah, that's Fine. right. Yeah. Um, so you're out. You're out there training. Um, so let's go to the to the mid air because yeah. this must be a rare thing. A rare thing. Yeah. In in, uh, in certainly in uh, you know, Australian military aviation, I guess. Yeah. Well, there've been the odd few. <laughs> I mean, there've been quite a few in, okay. the, in the fighter world. Right. Um, but uh, I think mine was the last that I. I'd have to mull over that a bit, but yeah, it's it's any resulting in in death. Uh there have, there were a few, yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, early early F eighteen days, there was a fatal mid air uh, out at Tyndall. Uh, oh, Seventy five squad and the CO was killed. Um, was that Fox? Yeah, Ross Fox. Right. So that was a mid air. Yes. I yep. did not know that. I okay. knew about uh, Colonel. Is it Colonel Fox? Oh, you are Wing Commander. Wing Commander. Yeah, okay, yeah. so Wing Commander Fox. I knew about that, and I know about. I can't remember his name. The guy that mm, maybe took his mask off or something. And yeah, yeah, Cam. That's a sad Cam Conroy. Yeah, that was tragic as well. Yeah. For those that don't know, it was um, yeah uh, Fox was. I didn't realize that was a mid air. But what was the other guy's name? Uh, the the, the fellow with the hypoxia. Yeah, that the was hypoxia. Guy Cam Conroy. Cam Conroy. Yeah, yeah. he um. Well, whatever it was, I don't want to speak out of school, but I think somehow he took his mask off or had some sort of situation with his uh, with his oxygen and got a hypoxia, passed out. Uh, the aircraft was on autopilot uh, and yeah. tracking to somewhere and just ticking along. And I think his wingman tried to find yeah, out what the hell's going on. Tried to revive him and uh, or tried to get him get him to respond. How the yeah? So obviously by radio, how else do you even? I don't even know. Do you make turbulence in front of the aircraft no, or something? No, oh. you do, but fly along and um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, tough, tough stuff. I well, the fellow that was in that other airplane was one of my instructors on pilot's course. A really good guy. Flies for Cathay in Hong Kong now, and 
yeah, you know, it's terrible. But um, I think in the old days of aviation, um, serious accidents were seen as cost of doing business. Mm. But there was a generational change in aviation generally and in our fighter world around the time the Hornet was introduced um it was a it was a new way of looking at things and managing risk and mm. um yeah we uh sort of brought it all to the next level and have had far less of those sort of serious incidents since then and you can still be a capable war fighting unit you know yeah yeah so i don't think uh, by any means that um that the way that we train is cotton wooled or less effective as a result. Mm-hmm. It's probably more effective, yeah, um, because it's very precise and it's very carefully planned to get maximum value with appropriate risk. And yeah. um, but it's extremely professional. Um, I guess everybody in any field of endeavour sort of looks at the people at the top of their tree and thinks those guys lead the world. But I think our fighter force are an exceptionally professional team mm. and um, the standards that they hold themselves to and set are um, yeah, extremely high. Um, it's a very tough place to work as well for sure. a lot of people, I think. But yeah, I'd like to think that it's led from the top too, from the top down. Yeah, led yeah. By, led by example, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a great commonality of perspective um, about how to... How to operate, how to do business mm. uh, in that in that world. Um, yeah, yeah. So well, that's good. I mean, and because it is looked at, like the, I mean, you know, f- I think for the for the average person out on the street, I mean, jets. Are j- I mean, there's not one person doesn't look a jet going over. Just <laughs> even the old ladies will look. Well, what's that bloody noise? You know. Yeah. But nobody can not stop and have a look <laughs> and just go, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Because it's, it's pretty cool. So, you know, you look at a, someone, fly, you know, walking around in a flight suit. You know, that's the first place that you go. <laughs> Hopefully they run. That's why I wear one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one piece. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, not really. But, you know, yeah, it's that it is, you know, I th- I'd like to think that it is viewed as a highly, highly professional. Like, I guess for us, you know, when you look at, at special forces, you know, in our line of work, you know, to commando and, and the SAS, um that's the first thing you think is well that that's you know you got to be tough and yeah. not just tough you got to be smart you got to be you know independent you got to be a, a lot of things you know damn near superhuman in some respects yes um and uh you know and notwithstanding some of the latest revelations coming out of SAS um yeah, I'd like to think still there's bad eggs and everything and you know, hopefully it's still a highly professional, yeah. capable unit. Um, sure it but is. But it's yeah. not nice to see stuff coming out, uh, which is really not for I don't know if you saw the four can't. corners. No, I didn't, and I can't really comment, but I mm. I think it would be premature to form an opinion. Yeah, watch the four corners episode. Okay. <laughs> no worries. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's a bit hectic when there's video footage backing it up. It's, okay. You know. But... Once again, you know, it comes back to a couple of individuals and is not representative of the, of the whole thing. So, yeah, you're right, that's fair to say. But um, I, think, I, I think you've also always got to um, apply the filter of judging people's... I mean, there are certain standards and 
uh, ethics and rules that are immutable. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to send um, our young men and women into situations where for months on end they face the possibility of death every moment of every day, mm. then to judge the way they manage what is a combat situation from the comfort of an armchair. And you get the same thing Absolutely with aviation right. as well, right, where Can't people want well. to analyse decisions that were made airborne mm. when they know what the outcome was. They know what the faulty component was that was causing the strange indications. So they're looking at it in hindsight mm-hmm. um, in an air-conditioned room <laughs> in a comfortable chair. You, know, yeah. you can't... You've always got to put yourself, well, what would the person in that situation have seen, mm. known and felt? Yeah. Anyway. No, look, it's a it's absolutely fantastic point, Mark. It really is. It's well made too because you're, you're absolutely right. There's filters that need to be applied and context is a, is a huge issue. You know, human factor also. We, we learn about that, you know, in our current line of work in yeah. aviation as well and um, it's the first time I've had, you know, uh, formal human factors training. And whilst it seems a bit like, you know, when you're doing it, um, when you see it, human factors in action, when you actually really start to see the little the little signs, you know, along the way in your, in your day-to-day operations, you start to see these things. And yeah. and I think that was really well, really well done in a movie, Sully, about the uh, the uh, flight that went down the Hudson River. Yeah, okay, right? yeah, I haven't seen uh, it. Well, once again, it's, it's a movie, but it's a good movie and, and Tom Hanks plays uh, Sully, uh, the, uh, the captain of that. But... What what it what it does in in the you know in the movie it, you know it sort of depicts like they they are doing that they're pulling it apart and they go why didn't you do this why didn't you do that and you had this time and we've run scenarios and we've run how well, how many did you run you know twelve twenty one scenarios and then we got the thing to land you know right around yeah. and in the end he just says well yeah but you you don't you haven't taken into account the human factor yeah. you know the human factor to to fully to take enough time to fully or try to, as best you can, understand a situation fully prior to making an executive decision, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. in an emergency where things are going wrong and, and everything else, you know, to make that decision takes... If you're going to do a prop, make a proper decision, you need to take a couple of seconds. Yeah. yeah. And this is to teach us when we were medics, you know, when you're coming towards a, you know, a terrible scene. Take your blood... Uh, take your pulse first. Yeah. Just take it two, two or three seconds. Take your pulse... Relax and then get stuck into it, and it'll all come back to you. Yeah, that you makes know? sense. Yeah, so mm, the human factor. Um, all right, so to that end, uh, you know, a mid-air, a mid-air collisions. I mean, how often do you fly that close to each other? Uh, is it, is it's, it? er, it's every day. It's, okay. it's, it's like um, it's like training with a footy team. You know, you're okay. doing you're doing drills and yep. you uh, you. Moving close to each other, and uh, you know, there, right, so there with, are without going too much into, I guess, tactical stuff. But you know, would it be to, you know, to uh, for for if you're getting contacted by radar, you only want to be one little paint instead of two, or oh, there's pretty clear rules uh, beyond visual range. You're generally in separate height blocks, okay, and you can't leave your height block unless you know that you've got sight of all the opponent aircraft that you're going into their space yep. and all the rest of it. The, yep. the hardest part is when you start practising the close-in turning manoeuvring. Yeah. Uh, and on this, the day in question of the accident, we were doing what's probably the most challenging aspect of that, which is where you have two versus one. 
So you've got three aeroplanes in the same knife fight. Okay. Any more than that, you won't actually do a full-up fight. You'll do the beyond visual range and the merge yeah. and then go through like 180 degrees of turn and see who gets the best entry onto the others okay. and then it's over. And you go away and you reset and you come back and you practice that. Okay. But you'll actually take three aircraft into the full-up um, Malay right. and uh, friends of mine that went on and were successful fighter pilots said to me that was the thing that always got the hackles up on the back of their neck was when they were practising that because that's where things can come unstuck really fast. There's a lot of coordination between the pair. There's yeah. a lot of use of um, very specific words that in some cases have meanings that are four lines long that exchange responsibilities and who's doing what and how we're going to make sure that we don't get shot by the bad guy, don't crash into each other and do shoot the bad guy and get out of here. And, and manoeuvre all at the same time. Yeah, there's at a lot how going like on. What, 400, 500, 600 knots? Or oh, something well, yeah, those little aeroplanes were doing 250 knots or something. But okay. yeah, That's so still quick. Yeah, well, <laughs> What's my 250 my knots in kilometres? It's like double, isn't it? Like oh, 500, 600 kilometres? No, it'd be 400 or something. Oh, yeah, 400. yeah it's, uh, it's all happening pretty fast. Um, <laughs> top speed of a Bugatti Veyron. Yeah. <laughs> That's quick, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not a lot of time to make. Okay, so and so you one of the hardest manoeuvres and uh, yeah, one of the more difficult yeah, manoeuvres and one and of the places where things can go wrong most okay. quickly. Um, oh. So that I was solo as a post intro fighter course, but yeah, student essentially, a consolidating guy waiting to go on a course. Yep. And the lead of the formation similarly was a solo student, a mate. Yep. And then in the third aircraft, there was an instructor in the front seat. No, in fact, he was in the back seat, I think, flying as the bandit aeroplane. Okay. And then a really good mate of mine, one of my ADFA classmates, um, in sitting in the front but not flying, just observing. Um, and in the subsequent court of inquiry, literally, yeah. uh, it was found that there really needed to be an instructor in the lead aircraft of the pair. Okay. Um, so it was too much responsibility uh, for us as a pair of students mm -hmm. to manage that. Okay. Um, so that those um, coordination sort of rules broke down. Yep. And there was a misunderstanding. And so we ended up in a situation where I was um, following the bad guy around, trying to shoot him. Yep. And my mate uh, had tried to separate away, get some distance and then sort of pitch back in and take a missile shot while yep. the bandit was distracted by me. Yep, yep. Um, but in doing so, came through the same little bit of airspace. Yeah. Yep. And just as he came through, I changed direction abruptly in response to something the bandit had done. Right, of course. And um, I was focused on him, but I looked as I did so and just saw this aeroplane Blooming, <laughs> uh, it sort of went from you know like a dot. Because you sort of hands like essentially going in the same direction, but but we were one eighty out to each other. Oh, crikey. We're, we were fully head on. Um, and when we hit, oh, his shit. I thought he was like, oh, yeah, like no, behind no, it. We, oh. we hit head on, and his left wing flashed past my canopy about a metre from where I was sitting and sheared <sighs> my left wing completely off the aeroplane, or there was maybe half a metre of wing stump left on my aeroplane. Oh, uh, and it chills. took that I've out. literally of got chills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, it took the outer third of his wing off. So, But, but they, they hit pretty hard, completely ripped the both aeroplanes to bits and what? neither was flyable. Uh, do you remember like what altitude you, you were at? We're about 12,000 feet. 12,000 feet, okay. Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, what? What? What the hell went through your head then? <laughs> uh, well, I saw the accident coming, right? So I actually tried to take avoiding action and couldn't because the flight paths were converging and I didn't have enough control authority even with full backstick to change the direction of my jet. So Because of your overall... Well, just the, it, it's, it, you can imagine if two cars are about to hit each other, you can throw the wheel from lock to lock and jam the brakes all you want. If you're two metres from each other and about it, to hit, you're still about done. to hit, right? Job's yeah. done. So that, that yep. when I saw him, it was over. Yep. I had a go at trying to avoid him instinctively and then we hit. My first response was I was amazed I was still alive. I guess in that half a second of kind of... Yeah. Bracing, you know, it was like, oh dear, I'm about to die. That would have been too quick to even have a life flash before your eyes you know, moment. Was, yeah, I was yeah. just busy trying to miss him. Yeah. Uh, and then when we hit, I, I remember being surprised that the impact felt relatively mild. It just felt like it hit a bit of turbulence sometimes, you know. Yeah. Oof. But um, the jet then started rolling, sort of really yep. winding up. Yep. And um, I didn't have the presence of mind to look out at the wing and see how bad it was. Um, or, and I didn't even really know where we'd hit. He sort of disappeared under my canopy sill and I couldn't see him just prior to the impact. Mm-hmm. But there was a caution panel like there is in our aircraft that lights up orange different captions to tell okay. you things that aren't working. Right. And I remember while I was going full stick and rudder to the right to try and stop it from this winding up roll that it was doing, I looked at that panel to try and get a read of what was still working and what yeah, was gone. Yeah. And I don't know whether it was the violence of the roll or the adrenaline in me, but I couldn't read. All I could see was all these orange lights. I couldn't read any of the captions. But the jet was just winding up so fast that it only took me a second or two to go, <laughs> this is not happening. Yeah. So I just sat up straight and um, grabbed the ejection handle down on the seat pan and pulled and... Out I went. <laughs> and that was the easiest decision I've ever had to make. Was, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have to agonise. Whereas my mate in the other plane didn't see the crash coming, didn't know what had happened, thought oh, that shit. he had inadvertently got the aircraft into a spin and he fought it for a lot longer. And my very close friend who was in the third aeroplane saw it, saw it coming, realised it was going to happen. Right. Said when we hit the sky, just filled with wreckage. He thought it was like a Michael <sighs> Bay movie. It was like both aeroplanes had just exploded, um, which they hadn't. It was bits of debris. Right. But he he saw me eject. He didn't know who was who, but he said he just watched the other jet just spiralling towards the ground and thought... Have you got two-way comms? You do. Um and he said he was like yelling, eject, you know, but yeah, right. probably not over the radio. And he thought that whoever was in that aeroplane was already dead or was going to ride it in. Here, yeah, a bit of time dilation, probably felt like forever. But uh, in yeah. the end, my mate in that other aeroplane did eject, but he stayed in a lot longer and he was a lot lower. He'd, he'd descended a lot lower than me before he did get out, but fortunately he did and he was fine. So that was good. So. Basically 12,000 feet, you hit a plane head on, takes out your wing, you start to you start to spin. Yes. When you eject, how do you know that – can you eject at any – As long as you've got sufficient height under, you can eject in any attitude and as long as the thing punches you away from the aeroplane, mm. um, the seat that you're sitting in 
has um, the parachute behind your head and the straps that you strap into the chair with are actually also a parachute harness. Okay. And so what happens is once you go out, you actually smash through the canopy, the top of the seat smashes that for you. Oh, it doesn't pop off. Metal spikes, not on that aeroplane, others it does, but this one you go through. And the sort of first thing that happens, or it gives you a massive kick to get you clear of whatever's going on, and then once you're out, a little um, drogue shoot about a metre in diameter gets released straight away. Okay. And whichever way you're going, you're go- that's going to stop right. you in space and then you'll that kind of sense. settle under it. Yep, and then gets, you, gets you upright. Yeah, and in theory you'll way. fall for a long time. If you're at 40,000 feet, you'd fall all the way to 10,000 feet, which would be a bit unnerving. Um, but with me, it happened more or less <laughs> instantaneously. There's a barometric. Well, you're only 12. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a sensor that works out you're at about 10,000 feet. Is it and it releases a shackle. And yeah. now that drogue chute pulls the main parachute out. Okay. At which time the opening force causes the, the actual seat you're in to fall away. And you're now just left hanging in the straps. Um, okay, so right. So you, you don't hit the deck sitting in your chair. No. Okay. No. That would be worse for your back than the injection <laughs> was, which was not good for my back. But <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So we'll get to the injuries in a minute. So, <laughs> so okay. So you do you do you know which way you ejected, or, or was uh, it just just happened? You just like I just have get no idea. Yeah, it was but your eyes closed, were your eyes open? Do you I, don't, I don't really know. I think they probably shut. Like it's twenty three G when that model C fires. So yeah, um, it's. Pretty disorienting. I remember that's enough the, to wind you, surely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it probably did. I remember the rush of the airflow hitting my face at whatever you know, yeah. four or five hundred kilometers an hour. It actually ripped. It broke the chains on my oxygen mask. Ripped that off. Ripped the visors off my helmet. And um, for a short time, there was a sensation of like not not being able to breathe. But no. very quickly, it all just stopped. And then suddenly, I was hanging in a parachute house, and that was really surreal. Because I'd never parachuted before. Um, we had instructors from parachute training school at NARA come and do basic floor drills with us and teach yeah. us how to parachute uh, roll. How to, how to parachute roll. Uh, all that stuff, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. The, in the event. Yeah. Um, but it was like three seconds ago I was just flying my plane doing what I do every day and now I'm hanging <laughs> in a parachute harness, which is not much to it, 10,000 feet up in the sky it was over land or over water? It was over land, fortunately. Um, but, um, yeah, it was too much for my brain to process. And I, I can still remember this really little bizarre sorting thing going on where my brain would go back to the – I saw that jet coming and, and we were going to hit, and it, but it couldn't quite deal with that. So I'd say, no, that didn't happen. But I am here hanging in a parachute at 10,000 feet. This bit's real. And it sort of cherry-picked for a while. And yeah. in the shock, it sort of went – all right, that bit can't have been real, but this bit's probably real. And it sort of shopped around for a while until finally it went, no, actually, it's all happened. This is real. Um, just still in the air? Yeah, I was in the shoot for a long time because um, you'd probably... Um, well, the shoot would have to be big enough to take your weight plus the chair's weight to, to, to begin with, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's got to have a slow enough rate of descent that you don't hit the ground hard. Because technically you might be unconscious and yeah. you can't do any sort of roll yeah, or anything well, like that. Yeah, but even... Now, during parachute roll, it puts you down a lot harder than a nice sports shoot would. Mm-hmm. But and you don't have a, did you don't have the opportunity no, to no, flare no, or no, anything. No, it's it's like the round shoots that guys used to do static line with. Okay, um, so it's not very steerable. And I had dislocated my left shoulder, so I couldn't really steer it. But okay. 
um, it, um, it's going down about a thousand feet a minute, which when you reach the ground, that's really fast. The ground's coming up at you really fast. Yeah, a thousand feet a minute is that's a lot. That's quick. Yeah, if you landed an aeroplane like that, you, that'd hurt. Oh yeah. Um, but at the same time, it means it took uh, over ten minutes to get to the right. Yeah, of ground. Course. And in that time, the um, parachute harness did quite a bit of nerve damage, um, digging in. Uh, in into my leg, yeah, okay. Um, on the one side, so um, yeah, that wasn't real good. Um, it was a bit yeah. painful, but I couldn't get my body weight off it because of the left shoulder, which had popped out and back in. So that's called a sublax, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah did that out, during the ejection. I don't know why or oh, what. Oh, dude, it is. twenty what? Twenty three G's? Yeah, <laughs> maybe that. I, I don't know, or maybe it struck <laughs> the canopy sill on the way out, or. Um, God, uh, yeah, because know. yeah, because it, it breaks through the canopy. That just blows my mind that the chair breaks through the canopy. The canopy's like, ah, oh, you'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just make the chair go through the canopy. Yeah, yeah well, what the hell? It worked. What's the canopy made out of? Some sort of perspex. Or yeah, yeah thick perspex. Right. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so yeah. ten minutes. Where do you land? Uh, okay, so if you've ever driven up the Pacific Highway north of Newcastle towards Taree, it's really thick bushland mm-hmm. and somewhere along the way you go past this sign that points down a side track that says this way to the tallest tree in New South Wales <laughs> and the shortest <laughs> bloke <laughs> yeah. so I just got ejected <laughs> out of a plane at 23 <laughs> G's. that's right and I used to be six foot four until this day um so yeah, to answer your question that's where I landed was uh, that's a few kilometres from that sign so you know what, JB? We're going to call that. We're going to call this podcast Mark Connolly, the tallest tree. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, um, that's great. And so, yeah. what, what's the tallest tree? So it's a off the Pacific Highway. What's it? It's a, a uh, um, roadside sighting for nomads to go down and a photo shoot. But it is tall timber. Um, okay. And. That was probably the worst bit of the whole day was coming down towards the bush yeah. at a great rate of knots and looking at it yeah. and going, yeah, feet a minute. I'm going to get impaled. Um, <laughs> yes. And now by this time the, the chair's gone. Yes. So you're literally just hanging in You've your... You've got in a your little seat pack, a bit like the cushion that you sit on in the aeroplane that we fly. Yep, yep. It's still attached to your bum. Okay. Um, so the drill of you going into timber is to curl your knees up to your chest and cover your face and, and hope you don't hit anything too... Hope you, hope you don't get yeah. something up your backside. Yeah, Need yeah. to see a proctologist. Uh, yeah, no, no. Well, I was fortunate. I, I went through the canopy pretty much unscathed, but then the parachute sort of snagged on a big branch and I actually pretty much came to a complete stop about 50 or 60 feet off the ground for about two or three seconds. I sort of did a daffy duck. I looked at the camera and said, Mother! <laughs> and then just sort of free fell. And that was that was the worst part of the day because I thought I'm going to be lying on the ground with all of my bones broken, oh, and and it um, happened in the last fifty feet. Yeah, but it, weirdly, and I've seen photo. I've actually got photos that the accident investigation team took. The canopy subsequently snagged on enough different branches that it was a bit like doing a bungee jump. Right. It slowed me down incrementally. You. Yeah, and then I hit a really steeply sloping bit of ground. And just um, sort of slid um, for a few metres down this slope. So okay. there's no parachute roll. I just went boop. You just... And okay. um, came to a stop. And, um, yeah. And, and I thought, oh, I'm just not feeling the pain yet. 
like everything's broken and I yeah. just haven't felt it yet. You, you've, you've now got to <laughs> lay there and go, okay, that just happened. Now you've got to try and do a secondary survey on yeah, yourself. Yeah, that's it. But I got up and I was fine. I remember I ripped my helmet off and my earplugs out and took my gloves off and just went, well, I'm all right. So took your <laughs> harness, got away from that? Didn't you yeah, stand you in got, there basically got out of that. Skin? Yeah, yeah. Because you, you would wear, I mean, you'd have a flight suit on, you'd have some other... You got a, like a life preserver. Yeah, right. Which put a life jacket in it. Yeah, yeah. A bit yeah, like okay. one of the yellow life jackets that we use, but with a green covering on it. Okay. And um, some survival gear around your waist. And yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I was fine, and um, it took a while until I started to notice. So I had crushed uh, a couple of vertebrae in my thoracic from the force of the seat yep. firing, um, but I hadn't really felt it yet at that stage, and. On the way down, I was looking at this logging trail along the top of a ridgeline and trying to get myself onto that. Yeah. But with those chutes, you've got to pull down on two rises on in one direction to sort of steer it, and I couldn't really use my left arm, so I was just sort of pirouetting. So I ended up halfway down that slope, but I knew there was this logging road up the hill, so okay. I walked up the hill to the road and waited there for the rescue chopper and figured that was a bit of a clearing where they could sort of get right. to me. Yeah. Did you have some sort of locating uh, beacon? Some yeah, ELT? in the little pouches around your waist, you've got a radio that does 243 and 121.5. Okay. You've got pen gun flares yep. um, and a few other things like that. So I got the radio out and I talked <laughs> to the... Uh, yeah, it's Mark. <laughs> yeah, well, pretty much. Uh, well, in fact, they would, they would call me, the guy in the third aeroplane, the instructor, who's a very, very experienced guy who'd gone away to airlines for a lot of years and had recently come back to instructing as a reservist. Okay. And he had been through this exact situation before. He had, in the Mirage, I think, had a mid-air, had his formation have a mid-air collision, lost a couple of mates. So he dealt with it extremely well. He coordinated the rescue. He checked in with me and with my mate and let us both know that the other was alive and well. Okay. And... Um, yeah, got the helicopter coming out and and all that sort of stuff. So that was excellent. Right. Yeah. Were they? Was he circling overhead somewhere? Yeah. Or you yeah. could hear that. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. And then the chopper comes out to get you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So okay. So you're there. Do you get airlifted out there by the chopper? They winch you out. Yeah. They they winch the litter down, and the squadron doctor, who was a good friend, um, came down and uh, got me into the litter. He said later that I had so much adrenaline, I would have shimmied up the cable if he'd have let yeah. me. Um, but uh, he put me in the litter and uh, they tried to winch us both up and the motor couldn't hack it, so they winched us back down. He got off and then they just pulled me up and <laughs> got him and, and then we went and got my mate. Okay. And that was the best moment of the whole day was right. when his grinning mug came over the and the edge of the chopper <laughs> deck. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, the next thing I was going to ask was, so how would your mate go? Because like, yeah. you said he didn't pull... He didn't pull the canopy, or sorry, pull his ejection seat until much a, a later. A bit longer, yeah, but he was still plenty of height under him. Yeah. He was fine. He crushed one vertebrae in his thoracic. Um, otherwise, he's pretty good. And, okay. um, yeah, he was fine. And they, the, the, it was a dedicated rescue chopper. So the letters we were on clipped onto the floor. So I was already clipped onto the floor and he came up over the cell and got clipped in next to me and we just grabbed each other's hand and just, uh, yeah, nothing said, just... Yep. 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 <laughs> Glad you were alive, you know. So, yeah, yeah that, that was good. And, uh, and look, you know, I mean, just to, it doesn't sound like anybody's fault. This is tra this is training you're out there. You gotta, you know. Pre pretty much. And there, there was oh, an action investigation and a board of inquiry and, yep. 
Yeah, you know, there were th- some things that technically weren't done right, but there was a lack of supervision. But then the squadron produced three-inch thick pile of paperwork from the last three years screaming they didn't have enough instructors to supervise the bog rats adequately. And then yep. the wing produced their pile of paperwork screaming to Air Force headquarters that they didn't have enough pilots to man instructors in the training squadrons. And it, it, it was an organisational accident. So, yep. um, I yeah. think I think that's good. Yeah, no. I think is, that's it good. If it go, it goes up. We told you we need more people. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, you're right. If you make because we we do that, don't we? We make it work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Look, we really need more people. All right, we'll just make it work this one, this this time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you make it work this time, and then the next time, and then all of a sudden, well, they can do it with this amount of people. Well, you know, what's the problem? Yeah, yeah. I think there was some good learning out of it. Mm. Um, unfortunately, my mate had a tough time for one reason or another. Um, for a while after that he went on and successfully got through hornet course i didn't okay um but he had a pretty a bit of a rough run as a result of the whole thing well that was going to be my next question how you know because in the aftermath of that you know how does i mean you know so it just sometimes depends on the person you know terrible um you know car accident or, or or something like that and once the adrenaline wears off, some people can have some real trouble getting back in a car or you know getting yeah. back on a horse if they have a horrible you know accident yeah. on a horse. Yeah. How? Firstly, how did you how did you go? Yeah, I it took you a while to get over a couple of crushed vertebrae. You would have had to. Be yeah, I couldn't fly for I don't know three or four months. Yeah, only because there was a risk that if I had to eject again, I could rupture the spinal. Cord right, dead right. And, yeah. So they had to yeah. heal properly before I could fly again. Yeah. I think um, they call that a burst fracture, I reckon, because I've had one. I did oh, really? T12, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. so I'm a little bit shorter than I should be as right, well. Yeah, okay. That one yeah. vertebra is 20%, they reckon, shorter, smaller than it should be. Oh, uh, that's nasty. Yeah, a little bit chipped off and was sitting in my spinal column thing. Yeah. But they reckon it was small enough that my body would, over time, they didn't have to surgically go and get it. They could, it, that it would uh, be reclaimed by the body just, okay. over, just over time. So, But I was 18... And I was in the spinal unit after a motorcycle accident, right? So I was in the spinal unit. Two weeks later, I walked out. Right. And two and a half weeks later, I went back to work. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not ideal. Probably not, no. But when you're 18. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you should be right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so a you, you, couple of months you got over that. When... Uh, and so you get back in the plane, you kept, kept training, kept flying. Yeah, went back to it. It was a bit ginger to start with. Yeah, it was all okay. Uh, I found uh, I found it hard doing that stuff, mm. and not long after I went back to flying, I scared myself in doing the same kind of activity. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I guess I just suddenly become pretty aware of my own mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but anyway, I, I bumbled on. I got onto Hornet course. Um, and, and I just got a bit maxed out by trying to fly the F-18 and mm-hmm. I failed the course pretty early on. That wouldn't be uncommon, right? Uh, no. Wouldn't, surely well, that wouldn't be uncommon. I uh, mean, for everything they put into you, they'd like to think that most yeah. guys should actually get through, but yeah. uh, it's a pretty tough course. Yeah. Um, and, and you've got to be um, a very capable person um, to do that job. Yeah, you've got to have a big brain. Does that... <laughs> Does that stay with you a little bit? Does that uh, sort of sit somewhere in the back of your mind? You think oh, I was oh, wasn't quite good enough. Yeah, yeah no, it doesn't doesn't worry me too much. I think it was another great humbling experience in life. And in fact, I was very lucky because I actually got two goes at a Fardane course, which is extremely rare. 
very few people ever get a second shot at that. Okay. So I failed. You think maybe the ejection? Go- <laughs> oh, well, he's ejected. He's <laughs> no, it was more or less. What what yeah. happened was I, I failed Hornet course. The guy that was the executive officer of the Hornet training unit at that time is now the chief of the Air Force, and a guy oh. I've got a great deal of time for, um, Mel Hutfeld. Oh right, um, okay, yeah, yeah and, uh, fantastic, fantastic bloke. Yeah, um, and he looked after me when I um, was taken off the course. Yep, got me the posting that I wanted, which was to go and fly Hercules tactical um, Herx at 36 Squadron. Um, but he said to me, go do that for a couple of years, give it your best shot, but we might try and get it back. Because okay. he felt that the mid-air had affected my confidence or whatever. Fair enough, yeah. yeah. And in the end, he went into bat for me and he got me back in for a second go, um, which I was really deeply grateful for. So yeah. I, I spent a year and a half on Herx and then went back to fighters and oh. did a Mackie refresher and whatever. Yep. Um, but and then I got a, a lot further through Hornet course than the first time, but I still hit a brick wall. Okay. And uh, I guess you know, it, it part of that is it's a little bit frustrating to have gone through all that effort because in the end, I spent over four years in the fighter system, mm. um, and I never actually got to do the job. But mm. um, I think they did me a favour. Uh, I think um, I'm probably uh, I was always probably going to feel like the bloke on the team no one would pass the ball to. I, I think I was there because I was motivated and they wanted to give me mm-hmm. a bash, mm-hmm. not because I was the most talented mm-hmm. guy. And um, yep. that was kind of, of you know, those uh, my instructors on pilots course and all the rest of it. But, yeah, I was, I was better off going and becoming a transport pilot and that allowed me to do a lot of other fantastic things that sure. I've done since. So yeah. the, way, the way that I hear that is, you know, suffering a failure – you know, failure is a big, yeah. big shitty word, you know. and But instead of, you know, I've been robbed and wearing it around like it's, you know, whatever. And, you know, instead you go, all right, no worries. Well, I gave it a crack, gave it a hard crack. Yeah, that's, that's and it. And it sucks, but, yeah, interesting. Like, you don't really want to be that guy that everyone's just like, well, we had two guys, maybe they'll You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, just, no, I, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Either, I was incredibly fortunate and, yeah. and had great experiences. I think... Training to be a fighter pilot in the Royal Australian Air Force was a tremendous privilege. Oh, and that training wouldn't have been lost on, on you, certainly. No, as, as a pilot and as a person, that was the best formative experience ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to break the sound barrier solo. I got to do phenomenal things, you know. Um, yeah. Incredible experience to have had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in the end, I went away and, um, well, then I went off and flew the caribou. I had seven years on caribous and that was my niche. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. So, yep. um, yeah, no regrets there. Okay. Yeah. And then the 16 years, in the 16 years, any any overseas stuff? Any deployments? Or uh, yeah, know? on caribous, I had a tour in Timor and yep. um, as, a, as a young co-pilot. And then later on, Islands, um, as the detachment commander and the air component commander for the Joint Command Task Force. So okay. Got to both ends of the spectrum there. It was great. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yep. Best people to work with, great aeroplane to fly and just um, fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. That's good. That's good to hear. And you, uh, you met your wife at some point along the along the journey. Yes, yeah, so I've actually been married twice. Okay. Uh, and um, my my first wife, who um, is still a very good friend, a wonderful person. Yep. Um, we met in the air force, and uh, she was like a fighter controller. Okay. Uh, and um, for part of a group of young people, kind of all getting around together in the officers' mess and yeah, yeah. being silly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you do. Yeah, and that was great. And we were married, and. Um, 
in fact, when I was going through Hornet course the second time, she was pregnant with our first baby. Okay. Which was in the back of my mind as I went to work each morning. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, and we ended up having four children. Uh, it was wonderful. Yeah. We were very blessed. Uh, we sort of went our separate ways in the end and I've remarried okay. to a very wonderful lady. So yeah. I'm yeah, very lucky, surrounded by great people. That's good. Yeah. And uh, your four kids, how, how old are they? They're all uh, left the Oldest couldn't. is 21. Okay. So he's at Duntroon at the moment. He's done his um, engineering degree Army, at Adfer. Navy, Air Force. No, I think he'd probably be the only one. My daughter's 19 uh, and she is studying to be a primary school teacher. And okay, she's need more of those. doing awesomely at that as yep. well. Yeah, so they're both doing exceptionally well as young adults with both with wonderful life partners already and yep. just, you know, just doing great. Mm. And then I've got two little boys who are um, about to turn uh, 15 and 13. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, great, great little crew. That's good. Yeah, and then, then my dear wife has four children of her own. Okay, all right. Um, who are age sort of 25 uh, down to 18. So Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it was at one time or another it's a big, full, happy household. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing wrong with that, as long as they're all good kids and everybody's contributing yeah, Yep. Making dad proud. So, yeah, definitely. So out of the whole lot, uh, only your, so your eldest son is at Duntroon at the moment? Yeah. And that's yeah. Uh, well he's in the army? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There you go. What corps? Uh, well, he'll probably be RAE because he's okay. civil. Oh, of course. You said he was done in engineering. All yeah, right. but then again, he could. Look out, JB. He's coming your way. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you'll show him the ropes. He'll need a good Yeah. No, yeah. that's good. Good sergeant. Yeah. yeah, well, every every officer needs a good side. Absolutely. So, yeah, right. So, uh, so you get out of the uh, out of the RAF. What year was that? Two thousand five. Two thousand five, and they retired to Caribou two 2007, years later. Two thousand seven. Yeah. Did you see the writing on the wall? Uh no. Or it you was just, just it was time. It was time. Yeah. yeah. Um, my two oldest children were sort of five and three. I was spending a lot of time away from home, and I was finding it hard to balance the commitment that I felt I needed to give to the Air Force yeah. with the commitment I felt I needed to give to my family. I couldn't reconcile the two, yeah. so it was, it was time to move on. Mate, I think you look yeah, – 16 years, I think you did your part, mate. Oh, so, I, no, no, you know. no real regrets. Yeah. It, was, it was awesome. I loved it, but yeah. yeah. It and you know what? I, like, I'm a huge believer if you're going to be in service life, you know, you, I, you really should give it everything. And yeah. it, uh, and the family does suffer. I mean, it just – it absolutely does in, in a lot of respects. It takes – yeah, yeah. It did did it, is it possible that it had a lot of an effect on on you and your ex misses as well? Oh, no, I don't think there was any great trauma out of that. No, but, um, yeah, um, no, just, just one of those things. It, it was just uh, yeah. yeah, I couldn't. Uh, I either stayed at work to do the stuff that my people needed me to do for their well-being and their career mm -hmm. and then looked at my watch and went, oh, the kids will be asleep by now again and I said I'd be home for dinner. Yeah. Or I went stuff it and I went home in time to see my children and in the back of my mind I knew that there was a bloke that was trying to get a promotion course who needed me to write something yeah, for him yeah. that I hadn't written. You know, yeah. and, it, and I could there, – there was no way of reconciling the two. And I'm not knocking the Defence Force. It's a very high-functioning, amazing, you know, organisation. Mm. Um, but it tends to be that whatever unit you're in does the single most important thing on the planet <laughs> and therefore the operational pace is extremely high and you'll get a rest when you go to your next posting – 
where those whackers <laughs> do something that's not important, but right here, right now, <laughs> you, you'll you'll give your all, and then you post to the next place, and lo and behold, the exact same story, you know. <laughs> and and I had foolishly taken promotion to a level where I suddenly realised it's only going to get worse from here. You yeah. know, so yeah, I just wanted a humble job. Yeah. I just wanted to go and work nine to five, and then clock off and go into my family. And fair enough, yeah. Yeah, right. And it, okay, so and you already had a private pilot's license anyway. Um, you joined the RAF. You were you did sixteen years. Yeah. Is that somehow civilian accredited? You can walk out and you've got a commercial pilot's license, or you still got to go yeah, and sit that? Yeah, for or your RAF pilot training, they they credit you with a commercial license. Okay, so that's good. With all your instrument ratings and everything. You just basically get a type rating and away you go. Yeah, pretty no, much. There's, there's a few gaps you've got to fill in. Okay, and right. they're reasonable. Uh, having reasonable. done it all, yeah, it's yep. like, yeah, yeah, some of the stuff in the military is very specific, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of stuff in commercial aviation you're expected to have a much broader grasp of regulation, and okay, so you've got to go out and fill in those gaps yourself. But okay. I had done that along the way sure. anyway, yeah, and um, yeah, yeah I. I Applied to flying doctors and got a position in Bundaberg. So okay. moved the family there yep. and Bundy's home. And we've been. And you because you're a Queenslander, true and true. I kind of yeah did high school in Brisbane. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, yeah. so of course you were a bit of, oh you were around the place yeah when you were a kid and then yeah. and then overseas and then but you when you got back and you joined you well I suppose the military would have taken you everywhere too because you pretty much joined the military straight away. So it's, it's a bit that way. Yeah. yeah. No, Queensland's home though. Queensland's home now. Bundaberg's yeah. home now. Um, Bundy. Two little boys were born in Bundy. Yeah, and uh, it's a lovely place to bring up a family. So. Yeah, right. I've yeah. I've only been to Bundy once. We had to, we stopped in there for work. Right. And uh, one night and one down the pub. I think it was a Sunday. It was pretty quiet, but it was yeah, it was a tidy joint. It was nice. Went down the pub had a, had a feed. It was lovely. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, it's good. So uh, they make some um, pretty terrible rum there. Though. Oh. <laughs> Queensland diesel. Yeah, <laughs> tan your insides and put airs on your bum. <laughs> so, yeah, right. All right, so you get out and Royal Flying Doctors. Yes. Yeah, right. Yep. Uh, what were you flying there? Uh, it's King Air. Okay. Um, yep. All right. And, uh, I mean, that, that would have taken you all around the place too. Uh, yeah, really? you got around a bit mm. um, within Queensland predominantly. Okay. Occasionally you get into Sydney or Melbourne or something. All right. But only uh, overnight is really like sort of back uh, the I next know, day. So normally out and back in the day or, okay. or the night. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Half the shifts you did were 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. Ah. So you did six or six days and then six Ugh. or six nights and then you had days off. Not a fan of night shift. Yeah, that, no. that sort of got to me after a few years. And by the time I eventually moved on, I'd done eight years. And I loved the job. I loved mm-hmm. the organisation. Um, loved what I was doing. It would be um, rewarding too, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it is good, yeah. around who are all hurt. And yeah, it's it's a fantastic... Um, had any of them been ejected out of an aircraft? Oh, not that I remember. <laughs> but the people that had done far worse stuff... Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I loved doing that and I loved being at home a lot. Yeah. Uh, it was really good in that regard. Yeah, well, but particularly with young kids as well. I mean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we homeschooled our children through primary. Okay. And a lot of that I did on my days off or, you know, of a, of a morning when I was um, going to go back to bed for a night shift or whatever. And yeah, okay. It was just wonderful to be with them all the time. Way to spend time with your kids too. Yeah, yeah, yeah which mm. is what I left the Air Force to do. So it was yeah. brilliant. And, uh, yeah, ca- uh, not a bad word to say about it. Uh, just that 
uh, the night work um, didn't work out for me in the end mm, and, mm. and I needed to move on. And in the end, when I look back, I should have left earlier yeah, than long I time ago. did. Yeah. That's the benefit of hindsight, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should have got out of trucks a long time before I was. Yeah. But anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. So, uh, and then uh, between there, what is, you took you to where we are now? No, I went to P&G flying Dash 8s for Octetti Copper Mine ah, um, for a couple right of years. That. Yeah. And that was four weeks on, four weeks off. Um, P&G. Yeah, it was interesting. I'd spent a lot of time up there on the Caribou. Um, okay, yeah, so it would, wouldn't have been yeah, unfamiliar territory. No. There's some high lows safe so. There are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's I think it's fourteen thousand six hundred going into Port Moresby. Something like that. Yeah. yeah it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very challenging place to fly. Yeah. Um, this uh in fact I, I had to reach out to a mate of mine um who I served in the army with his medic. It was a few years ago now, but there was a young bloke I can't remember his last name, but his name was Daniel and he, he was only a young fellow and he, he um it was uh, Ben Joseph was an FO with us, and he came and see me. He said, "Oh, I'm really worried. My mate, you know, Daniel's crash crashed somewhere in PNG, uh. and but he's he he called someone his mobile phone. Like he's still alive. Oh wow! Right, but you know where the bloody hell he was and and whatever else. And I'm like, you know, and he said, I don't really understand because it hasn't been on the news. It's kind of a big deal. Like there's an Australian pilot down in PNG." And uh, I didn't know anything about any of this sort of you know, PNG or flying around there, not much. You know, I was pretty new to where we work now. And and, um, and I said, well, and it was a bit flat. I was like, well, I how can I help? I don't know. So I thought, well, who the hell do I know that's got anything to do with PNG? And uh, and so this guy that I've served in the army with, shout out to Brad, um, he uh, he's been over there quite a lot. He used to run tours over there uh, for the Kokoda track. Oh. Um, and you know, he's a a well-connected guy and he knows people everywhere and I, I just facebook rang him and i said mate um oh, this is gonna be weird haven't talked to you for bloody 10 15 years um hope you're well uh mate i need your help you know he said what do you need and i, and I told him the story and i said oh, i don't know i'm just reaching out to see if the, if you know anything or anything you can do and he said mate he said, "Yeah, look, I know the uh, the abc reporter or, or somebody's a mate of mine and okay. he's and he you know Works in PNG. He's posted there, kind of thing, as a journalist or something rather. He said, "I'll give him a ring, see what we can find." And um, you know, anyway. So, and then we went out for a flight, and by the time we came back, and he sort of—I I can't remember the se- too, too far the sequence of events, but unfortunately, he he'd passed away, and they they did know about it. Um, but I hadn't considered how difficult the terrain is. Yeah. And how hard the weather systems are, and, and how difficult it is to just to, to even get to somewhere, yeah, to to, yeah. to get to somebody. There's so no roads, a lot of those no, places. and and of course, you know, now that I mean, it makes sense. I mean, what PNG bloody topographically kind of looks like, you know. So, and since then, I've, I've taken more interest in in you know, um, the flying over there, and and talk to a lot of people that have actually flown over there, and just the crazy stories they've got of how they fly around in these massive lower safes with these weather systems and whatever else. And in fact, aircraft crashes in PNG are out of control. Yeah, it's pretty common. Yeah, and in fact, the um, chief pilot of this particular place had crashed the week before. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I just learned all this stuff. Like, why the hell would you want to? Fly around at P&G for crying in the seat. Yeah, unfortunately for a lot of guys, it's a good way to go and get a bunch of hours and get their, their foot in the door in aviation, but it is a hazardous place yeah. to fly. Yeah. 
the crime and uh, stuff over there too. There I've are heard. some. There are some problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, they're wonderful people. people oh, for sure. Yeah. People have just got hearts of gold. Yeah. But there's a small element like anywhere that we're on it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wandered over there once, and and yeah, we were sort of escorted from there to the to the hotel. But they they were lovely. I no drums. I've been all around the world and dealt with people. We just treat them with respect. Yeah, you know the shady ones. They they look shady. Yes. So you just stay away from them. Yeah, right, so flying around in PNG, how many years did you do that? That was four weeks on, four weeks off? Yeah, okay. I was only there for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then I went to the consulting job with the oil and gas stuff, um, which was a few years. Okay. Uh, running around uh, oil rigs and um, other places trying to sort of apply aviation thinking uh, okay. in, in other high-risk environments. Okay. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah. And... Uh, and not behind the bloody controls of an aircraft. No, it, it was good to have a break from flying, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just used a different part of my brain for a while. So. Okay. So yeah. a couple of years doing that, and then uh, does that bring you to, yeah, to where to we are now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there you go. So that's um, how many years in aviation now? Uh, well. I mean, technically, you start, you already had your private pilot's license. Yeah, 32 years you since I started flying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What are you um, and uh, I mean, how long do you think you'll you'll fly for? I mean, you'll fly until you can't fly no more, really. Oh, even if you're just yeah, I don't cruising know. around a bug smasher somewhere. Oh, maybe nah, it's expensive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What um, if I one day? What if you if I pay you to teach me how to fly? Sure, yeah. yeah? <laughs> oh, JB, put put that on the list. <laughs> we'll go and do it on uh, what Sunday? You, I free Sunday. I don't have an instructor rating, unfortunately. So. That doesn't matter. No, I can right. teach you how to drive a truck. Yeah, I'm not right. a truck instructor. <laughs> <laughs> That's the loud pedal on the right. Right. Just, you yeah, know, okay. Look, yeah. I really do one day, and it is absolutely the money that, um, you know, I've just got, I mean, you know that dirty great big boat that I've got, that's where all my money went. Yep. You know, and then setting up this, which is, you know, doing that. But one day, yeah, if I, if I get the money together, I really do want to go and fly. It's okay, one yeah, of the last things I've, you know. Yeah, ever since I was a kid, I'd, I've, you know, driven anything with wheels, yep. you know, motorbikes and cars and trucks and, you know. Moving stuff and whatever. I just I haven't flown a helicopter and I haven't haven't uh, flown a plane. So yeah, I, okay. I'm, I don't like helicopters. I mean, I like helicopters, but they crash a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this job at the moment takes away uh, a little bit. It's a FIFO sort of situation, um, yeah. and uh, I mean. From what you've been saying, the FIFO model de- definitely had a bit of an impact on, on – it does have an impact on your family life, you know. Is it because there's just nothing that tickles you that, that's more local, you know, and why not the airlines? Uh, yeah, so there's nothing really in Bundaberg, unfortunately. From a pilot point of view, there's only flying doctors, and mm-hmm. I've done that. <laughs> yep, been there, done that. Um, used that up. Um, airlines uh, has a lot of uh, – challenges of its own as well a lot of time away from home mm-hmm. um i'm pretty solidly based in bundaberg for the time being don't really have the latitude to move uproot everybody else yep. so yep. i go away and work and come back real stays in bundaberg does their thing um it's and pretty much the polar opposite of what it was like growing up as a kid. Yeah, course, yeah, so. pretty much. Do so you think that, that that's part of it? Maybe that you're just like. Mm, you well, know it, it's just it's being in a second marriage. You know, you need yeah. to uh, be aware of everybody's needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, d- you know, we'll, we'll keep everybody in one spot and let them do what they do. Yeah. Um, and I could go 
uh, to an international airline and base myself out of Bundaberg, but it wouldn't really work being a domestic airline pilot yeah. out of Bundaberg. So okay. airline's not really an option. Um, but this this job works well. Yeah. Um, I don't like being away from home. I'd love to have a job where I came home every night, but mm. um, it, it's a fantastic job in itself. I love the job and the the people I work with and, you know, I'm very happy to be here doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then if I get the other half of my life to be home with my family, well, it's, that's that's good. Yeah, that's the that's the bonus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Means to an end. That's mm. it, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's cool, man. Well, um, how are we doing, JB, for time? All good? Been about an hour, hour and a half? Hour and 15. Hour and 15. Right. Mate, that's pretty good. Yeah. Shouldn't keep you too long. That's all What good. a great story. I just... That, Getting there, <laughs> and how's your, does your back give you grief now? <laughs> you know, it like it hasn't it done. It hasn't done. It's okay. been twenty five years, and I've managed it fine. But in the last six months, unfortunately, uh, it's gone downhill pretty badly, and so okay. that's all now in the mill with DVA. Yeah, and, um, yeah. Oh God, that old meat grinder. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And possible um, um, seeing a neurosurgeon. Um, but basically, my lumbar spine's now collapsed to the point where it's compressing nerves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's which is sciatica and gives you sciatic pain and yeah, every, you know, everywhere yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, but, but uh, I'm did pretty well out of 25 years. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and yeah. now it's going to take a bit of management, I think. Yeah. Well, look, you know, you're a reasonably fit kind of guy. You get her out riding and you go walking and running each. Like, you still run and do all yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I have been. I can't run now because of the, mm. the neural problem, but. Mm. Um, I'm hoping to get back to that. Stick to the low, low impact stuff, swimming yeah. and all that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Can't yeah, well, you I mean, look, if you, were, if you were bloody, you know, 10, 20 kilos heavier, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, and because that's the thing, living away, working away, sometimes if you don't control what you're eating and your diet and get some exercise when you're working away, you yeah. know what I mean? It can go downhill pretty quick. Sit there watching Netflix flat yeah. out when yeah. you're not working. Um, and, of course, we're pretty stationary in, in a plane. Yeah, exactly. I thought I thought I was bad when I was driving trucks, but at least when I was driving trucks, I, you know, roadhouse meals were, you know, pretty regular every day, and a lot of coffee and coke and cross knows what else. But you know, I, I was at least I was unloading and loading at each end, and and it was a bit more physical and changing yeah. tyres and and whatever else. But now in aviation, I I'd sit less than like more than I did before. Yeah. So now I really and I'm in my sort of late thirties, so I've got a. I'd need to do it, like start looking after it now, because yeah. if I don't, you know, comes home to race seven yeah. hours at a time in a chair is not a good thing. No, <laughs> not when they're some of these dash days don't have great chairs in them either. Uh, and a bit of turbulence and everything that's mm. not good either. So. No, well, mate, um, it's a real pleasure having you on, man. I really appreciate you uh, you coming on, mate. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for your service. Oh, and. Uh, I'll, uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to you later on down the track somewhere. Um, all the best to your son as well. When, you know, well, all your kids really, what they're doing, but particularly his son. I'd love to um, talk to you later about that and see how he's going through Duntroon and yeah, sure. and how Ramey goes. And, um, and uh, yeah, all the best, man. And hopefully one day we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again and maybe one day we might get your brother on here. Yeah, sounds That'll be a mad talk great. too. So. Thank you for having us. No worries. Mate, yeah. thank you very much. Appreciate it, Mark. <laughs> all the best. Thanks, Thanks, team. Thanks for listening. That's episode two. Thanks, JB. And uh, that's uh, Church Dog Out. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.